Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Why Not Her podcast. I am your host, Linda coogan Burn. It's been a while. I hope everyone is doing well. Uh, hopefully we're going to meander our way out of COVID. Um, the last season was amidst the, the chaos that was, will we or won't we open back up? Will the world ever be normal again? And thankfully, we're starting to see some semblance of normality. And um, today, I'm just delighted to be able to share a conversation that I had with Dorothy Carvello who was Atlantic Records first ever A&R female executive and the book is very alarming in a lot of ways and it's very eye-opening it documents uh, Carvello's experience of toxic work culture during her career as a record executive she started out as a secretary to Ahmed Erdogan who was founder of Atlantic Records and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame For over 60 years, Atlantic Records boasts an amazing, amazing array of artists on their roster from the likes of Ben E. King, Aretha Franklin, Led Zeppelin, the Rolling Stones, Bruno Mars, Ed Sheeran. It just goes on and on. But the book details a lot of fucked up shit that went on as well and I'm really happy that I can curse a lot in this episode (laughs) because Dorothy like a woman of my own ilk um does not hold back and I think that's really important um right now at this moment of time in history that women don't hold back and that we speak our truth and that we are unafraid and that we collectively come together and support one another and uh, work towards change and towards making a better uh, industry and a safer industry for everybody. Um, so without further ado, it's my absolute uh, pleasure to introduce Dorothy Carvello to the podcast today. Good afternoon, Dorothy. It's great to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. I just finished. I I read your book and then I listened to it on Audible. And I have to say there was so many moments where I wanted to throw my phone across the room. (laughs) But I mean, wow. You know, where does where does one even start? Where does one begin? There was so many moments that stood out. Anyone that's listened, they, they know that I, I've, I too work in the music industry. And there was so many moments that I could relate to as well. But I'm sure people listening in will also relate to some stories. I mean, what prompted you to write this book first and foremost? Well, what prompted me was when I started at Atlantic Records in 1987. I couldn't believe the behavior of these men. They just really did whatever they wanted, and they just kept succeeding, being paid, promoted. And the lack of women um, in any type of really serious position was shocking to me. And I just kept, you know, I'm always proud to say I was fired from every job in the music business uh, because I always stood up for myself. And when I didn't want to take this shit, I got fired. So I knew I got fucked. And 
all of these men that I wrote about, most of them are hailed as iconic figures in the music business and can really control, Doug Morris controlled the entire business for over 30 years, running every single label globally and Mm -hmm. hiring all his other band of merry idiots. So it was a culture that I hated and a culture that rewarded um, criminality, sexual abuse and assault, rape, stealing, um, just everything. And that's really inspired me. I just felt that why should these men get away with this? Somebody has to really tell the truth of what the music business is about. Mm-hmm. And it's not about music. Yeah. And and when you started out, you began in Atlantic Records and you kind of, that really, you know, from, from get go in the book, that really opened a lot of doors for you, but it also introduced you maybe to a world that you you weren't really aware of, of it that existed and you became to know what the, the <laughs> some of the slogans in the book, that the power of pussy. <laughs> yes. Yes. We, I, I was, when I started to work at Atlantic, I was secretary to the chairman, Ahmed Erdogan. So being in such close proximity to the chairman and an iconic figure as Ahmed Erdogan, someone who discovered everyone from Eric Clapton to Aretha Franklin, Um, Everybody wanted a piece of him. So he knew everyone, which meant the trickle-down theory. Um, I could meet people more easily through him than had I started in any other department. But it was a double-edged sword. But I also, he told me, he said, look, as a woman, you have one thing any man wants. That's pussy. And I was like shocked when he said it, but it was true. Like if you played that card and slept with one of these guys in power, that's how women would get jobs. Now, when you're 25, uh, these guys are all in their 50s. So I just couldn't do it because I wasn't attracted to any one of them. They were like a father figure. So I thought it was disgusting. Mm. But I did learn like the men because they were my only role models. I did things like them, but I wasn't, I couldn't get away with it. And ultimately you can't pull it off because you're a female and women are more empathetic and more caring than the men. You know, the men are totally self-absorbed. And I don't know if it's because not that women can't be narcissists. There are Mm. female narcissists. But for me, it was the Catholic thing, the Italian thing. Uh, You know, you always have to help people. At that time, too, my age group, I'm 59 years old. The generation of women I was brought up in was that, you know, there are no females running companies or doing that. You have to take a second position to a man. And I just couldn't like get with that. So, but I was severely punished economically and in every other way in the business, you know, branded my reputation room, branded a troublemaker. So for me, the book Mm. just validated my own sanity because you know mm-hmm. they would say oh you're fucking crazy she's crazy she's a yeah. troublemaker all I mean, things right. that when you say that about a man they're, the, the translation would be they're a leader yeah. they're so strong they're so courageous so yeah. you know those were it's 
those were my motivations. Yeah, as, as Beth Davis once said, uh, when a man speaks up, he's a great, and when a woman does, she's a bitch. Correct. Correct. And, so. you know, there was part of the, the at the start of the book where you, you speak about your relationship with, um, with Ahmed Ertegan, and there's a part where he, he you you speak about him ringing you kind of near the near the kind of end of his um life if you will and yes you, you have this conversation with him and you discuss you know your what your aspirations were and your career and he kind of turned around and you have watched so many of your male peers rise and rise and you know do whatever they wanted to do achieve whatever they wanted to achieve and when you kind of put this to him he kind of responded with well what did you expect you're a woman I mean you know even in the book he has he had assaulted you he had been completely inappropriate he missed you know he abused your trust he abused you in so many ways I mean you know and then you went from his secretary and you also at the same time on top of that you became one of Atlantic Records first ever A&R um, and you know, Skid Row was signed and there was just so much kind of happening. I mean, how did it go from being the, one of the first women to be an A&R in one of the biggest record labels in the world globally at the time to, you know, watching your the careers of the men in the company and then to this point where you're looking across at this old motherfucker, <laughs> you know, I mean, a legend, a total legend, but at the same time, you know, the embodiment of toxic masculinity. How did that make you feel? Did, did you, you know, at that stage, had you began even thinking about writing a book? Or I know that you had kind of mentioned or propositioned it and he said, you know, wait till I'm fucking dead. <laughs> you know, did you well, wait until he was dead? Did you do that intentionally? No, um, two things. Here's how it made me feel throughout the time of why all this was going on, I'd have success, get fired. I'd have no money, literally, mm. you know, barely baking, making my bills. My marriage was breaking up. It took tremendous toll on me uh, mentally. I was under so much pressure. You know, my jaw was always clenched. Um, I got TMJ. I was sick all the time. I always had calls. I was angry. I had a short fuse. I didn't realize or process that all of this was because of this um, feeling of, you know, I wasn't being validated. My career was just like on a path to nowhere and it did take its toll. Um, So I suffered and I use that word in particular because to me, I did suffer to watch Mm. these men that I did their jobs for them. I helped them. I was their mother, their sister, their wife, their daughter to Mm. just keep going and to be excluded out of the tent, knowing that you did that. It's such, it's, you know, it hurts. That's the only word for it. But Mm. uh, the other side for me was, I was like, fuck them. 
They're not going to get rid of me. Why should I leave this business that I love? I'm just going to hang in there because I like to say a knockdown is not a knockout. As long as I could keep getting up, to me, it was a boxing match. I get back in the ring, bloodied and bruised. They hit me. I'd fall down, but I get back fucking up. They wanted me to stay down. I wasn't going to go away and die. Now, I always wanted to write a book about my career because I was close to Ahmed Erdogan and I didn't believe the shit that went on. I said, no one's going to believe this unless it's published in a book. But I couldn't get anywhere. Whenever I tried to meet with a book company or an agent, they would say to me, no one cares what a secretary has to say. And I found that so fucking demeaning because it's like, if you fucked with me when I was Ahmed Erdogan's secretary, you got no access to him. He didn't yeah. even know you existed. The mm. calls weren't going to get through. Nothing you wanted was getting through. So it's like the people perceive the people actually doing all the work in the company that don't have a vice president title as nothing. Mm. So I wrote my book in 2000 and finished in 2016 Mm. and I started to look for an agent actually 2015 and finished it in 16 I started to look for an agent I finally got an agent in 2016 everybody passed said nobody cares about a secretary I got one yes Mm. and then I put my book out for sale in 2017 and I got one yes every company passed on it I got one yes I took the offer and in life all you need is one yes and then Harvey Weinstein thing happened but they Mm -hmm. held my book to 2018 which book companies are a whole other thing like record companies yeah Um, you know something i wasn't familiar but i tried for years to get my book out nobody wanted to publish it Mm. but i think a lot with life in general is about timing and Yes. I, got, I suppose if it had come out at that time, it would have been washed, you know, completely away with the Harvey Weinstein shit that was happening and the, the Me Too movement that just became. I mean, I spoke to Rose McGowan and I've, you know, multiple women that were a part of that. And, you know, it, it's kind of like when, when something that big happens in terms of a movement and a shake within an industry, you kind of have to step aside a little bit and go, you know what, just let let this happen. And then, you know, when the time is right, and, you know, we've discussed uh, before we we, we start recording, um, you know, the, the essence of timing and the fact that within the music industry, there really isn't, the same kind of Me Too, Me Too movement that has happened in other um, entertainment um, industries and, and within media. And I think it's really telling of the type of industry and the power that people have within the industry that this hasn't happened. You know, I mean, in, in the book, it, it has that you were told by a school teacher along the way that, you know, men are going to break you. But seriously, you know, even... So many times women have been told that by someone along the line of just, you know, you're a woman or even when you're a child, children should be seen and not heard. Or, you know, the men are speaking, the women go out or make the tea or fucking pour the drink or whatever. And along the way, something clicks, you know, and you think, what am I doing? You know, why am I being put in the corner? You know, and it's that kind of thing where you go, right, this enough is enough. Do you feel that you know, it's now time for the music industry and the so-called icons within it to be exposed. You have done it in your book and there is a ripple effect as a movement happening. It's starting to kind of come to the forefront. It's happening in Australia. 
ripples in the water, should we say? And how do you feel that women can support one another and and echo each other's um, trauma and and elevate it and lift it up so that it can be heard? Well, what happened to me after I published the book, um, and my book really did so well, critically acclaimed, what's there's a few factors that happen. I heard from so many women, and each woman that I heard from, I helped to the best of my ability. And it's very difficult for one person. And some of these stories are so horrific and appallingly disgusting yeah. about people I even know working in the music business now. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do I do with these women? I try to help each one to the best of my ability. But as time went on, I decided to open a foundation, which I'll be announcing shortly because I'm doing the paperwork now. And I want to use the foundation as a place where all women with complaints about the music business could come to. Mm. And there'll be resources in there that women could find how they can help. So that's part one in terms of whether you've been sexually assaulted or whether it's a workplace issue, because there are government agencies, if it is a toxic environment and it doesn't have anything to do with sexual harassment or abuse, but violations like in Australia, there's so many workplace violations happening to women. They don't even know that they have rights that you can file with certain government agencies. doesn't cost you any money. Mm. And then the government will do a complaint. So that's one thing. The Mm. second thing is my book was uh, bought for a docu-series and I congratulations think that once, on that. Yeah. Thank you. Once it comes to streaming services and it gets out to a wider and broader audience, people will see um, not just myself on camera, but other people on camera and other women talking about the sexual uh, abuse, but also the criminality that these companies are involved in. Mm-hmm. You know, product theft, collusion, owning parts of Spotify. Uh, they're, it's like, um, I call it La Cosa Nostra. It's like the mob. Mm-hmm. You know, these companies have their fingers in everything. And in America, we have antitrust laws. You can't do that. You know, you mm. can't be controlling every aspect of an artist's career, mm. artists not being paid properly. So yep. all of that will come wide. And I think then we're going to have like a big, bigger shakeup. Mm. And um, the way women could all come together is just exactly what we're doing, keeping in touch, learning that. You know, it's not just an American problem, an Irish problem, an Australian problem. But the thing we have here in America are that these companies are based here. That's where the global chiefs are. Mm-hmm. And they're distributing the orders to their fiefdom. And they say, well, I didn't know about this. I didn't know about that. Uh, President Harry Truman in World War II had an expression called in his office. He had a sign that said the buck stops here. Mm-hmm. They know about everything. Yeah. But the old business model is to take a complaint of a woman, pay her a little bit of money, fire her, and have her sign an NDA. Mm -hmm. What I want to do, and this will help everyone, um, is that when a woman complains, have an investigation, she's not fired. If it proves the man committed an offense of sexual harassment or assault, fire the man. Stop recycling him 
like the Catholic Church, so mm-hmm. he could go abuse in a new company. They do the same thing. It's predatory behavior, case closed. Once a, It's not, I want to get this notion, oh, it's an affair. You're mm-hmm. paid to do your job, not try to hit on women uh, yeah. in the office. So mm-hmm. I don't um, agree with that, especially the issues of consent. Artists mm-hmm. are corporate assets of the company. They cannot consent to sexual affairs uh, because the man has the power over their career. And in most of these situations, the men has the power over the women. So mm-hmm. how could you have some consent? And like I say, you're there to do a job, not mm-hmm. to unzip your pants and, um, you know, try to assault or have what you think are affairs. But all of these men, I want to get the mirror that they're looking in. They mm. all think that they're fucking dynamite and women can't resist them. It's the reality of it because they act yeah. like, you know, they could do whatever they want and they can't. Yeah. I mean, with regards to feminism and diplomacy and the approach as to how we can really enact structural change within different industries, but in particular, as we're talking about the music industry, you know, I, I, I feel, I don't know whether you're of the same opinion, I'd say you are. I mean, we do need the solidarity of the men in the industry as well to kind of put up their hands and say, do you know what? Yes, I've seen this happen or yes, I was there. And yeah, you know what? I, I, I'm going to take accountability. I'm I'm going to say that, yeah, I, I'm supporting this and I'm going to support you and I'm going to work towards change. What is there any good? Is there any good men out there? Do you feel that 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 this is possible? Have you come across, you know, because you've you've dealt with the juggernauts of the industry? I mean, through you know multiple periods and eras, and do you think that that this is something that is is needed? Do you think that this is something that's a reality? Do you feel that men are going to no. step out and say, you know what? Here's our solidarity, because I didn't see it in the UK and I didn't see it in Ireland. No, here's what's going to happen. The only way to affect change is from the outside. If enough pressure is put on the company, whether it's a radio company, a music publishing company, a music company, the only way is from the outside. They're in this stuck in this time warp. None of them there. It's not a moral decision for them. They do mm. not care. Yeah. Okay. People, women are expendable to them. We're losing some of the best talent because of that attitude. It's all about money. The way to affect change and get this business to change is through many layers of pressure. One will be through um, class action suits by the women. Number two will be through changing the law, like in America in particular, we're going to change the law next year in New York and in California. Mm. That's going to do what's called window legislation mirroring the child victim sex act, but we're going to do the adult victim sex act. It'll be made just like for the Catholic church, all the pressure and all the money on the Catholic church and lawsuits, they haven't fucking changed. Mm. So what we have to use is exactly what you're doing. Their own data against them. Mm. We change the law. We'll open up the statute for 12 months, making if you were sexually harassed in any way, whether it took place 50 years ago, 100 fucking years ago, 
Mm. and start suing these companies. So what will happen is there will be thousands of women. That will put pressure on them in the media and everything, and myself included. Mm. Uh, will sue for everything I went through. Um, That's one way. But lawsuits are not enough. What we have to do is when these companies want to settle, because the cases will be in the thousands, we're going to write in legislation that makes them change the way they handle. We have to limit the use of an NDA. If a woman is leaves and she's on the NDA, it should not be for life. Mm-hmm. It should be maybe a couple of years. There really shouldn't be NDAs. If the company is just... so clean, what do they care if a woman speaks about how she was abused? Yeah. So it's a multi-level. And the other way is through being a shareholder. These are all publicly traded companies of which I am a shareholder in each company. I don't want my profits used to cover up this type of abuse in a corporation. That's my money. I don't agree to it. And I will be doing as much press and as much pressure in their annual meetings to bring this up. Because the other shareholders don't know this shit is going on. And if they knew, you know, there's a new wave, thanks to Black Lives Matter, of shareholder Mm. activism. that People don't want to put their money, these hedge funds, in these companies that are doing this shit. You know, they're paying men millions upon millions of dollars to do a job, not do all this crazy, illegal shit. And then hopefully when we start putting people in prison, if we Mm -hmm. can get enough attention from the FBI, the the U.S. attorneys, the attorney generals of each state for financial improprieties, like I said, the collusion, the Spotify. When Mm -hmm. someone goes to jail, like Harvey Weinstein, jail is a very not a nice place. Mm. When you take one of these assholes and make an example of them, then we'll get a lot of people's attention. So I'm in it for a long fight because I don't expect to change institutionalized abuse this long. Yeah. Um, But it can be done. And like I said, I'm not alone. Yeah. I mean, you're just speaking about data there. But just before we go on to data, can you just explain for anyone that's listening in, what, what, what is an NDA? Like, what does that mean? If someone is told, right, you have to sign this, what is, what is that? Right. An NDA is a non-disclosure form. And usually when you make a settlement, especially for sexual harassment or abuse, the company will not give you a check not give you the settlement for it unless you agree to sign this non-disclosure form. And if you decide to speak about the event and break the non-disclosure form, the company can go after you legally. (laughs) Whatever, like, you know, we have one woman who has an NDA. If she's about what she speaks about, it breaks the NDA. She's being charged $75,000. That's it's cruel. It's inhumane mm-hmm. and it's wrong. And we have to, women and their lawyers have to start fighting against um, this procedure of yeah. forcing women to sign NDAs. It's re-victimizing women and it's not helping them get other jobs or heal their mm-hmm. own trauma that they have to go through. So, it, I mean, in a nutshell, there there is a lot. It's a shit show, right? Let's just face it. And I've had so many conversations like this with, with women in the industry. And, you know, we've touched on different collectives and movements. Like in Ireland, there's the Misha Foster movement and the Fair Play Collective. And 
I've sat in Zoom calls, especially over COVID, because COVID, I think, was the only time where women were safe in the music industry for the first time in ever because they weren't out on the road. They weren't in studios and they were just kind of sitting at home. But to even consider that that is the only time that they were safe is just it's it's astonishing to just think that 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 is that's that was the perks of COVID for female musicians and women in the music industry. And what was what was really alarming to me is that as we all spoke and they were, you know, can't really speak about it because they were um, private kind of conversations between collectives. But, you know, some of the women in, say, Misha Foster, they went on to primetime television in, in, the, in Ireland and they spoke about and they named some of their abusers. And what we're seeing is in Ireland and in the UK that there's counter kind of... Um, arguments or does counter suing happen where if they say oh this person has done this they will then be counter sued and it's just you're just kind of going these women have been traumatized so much and it's so disheartening when they put themselves out there and they say you know what we're going to speak up we're going to do this we're going to try and change the system but at the end of the day the system is designed to go against women so for anyone thinking, you know what, I remember something happened or something happened to me and, and they might see other women speaking up, but then when they see that there's nothing really happening about it, what would you say to kind of put some fire under them and say, you know what, speak your truth, you know, we're all in this together, we, we can do it together, because I do believe, and we spoke about it again before this, that we are stronger in numbers and we're stronger together and the more of us that speak up about it, the better, you know. Well, I I personally agree with you, but a lot of women are still so afraid mm. and they just can't do it or they're not there yet. And what I found with some of the women that have come to me, it's taken them years. I had one woman recently contact me who just read my book. And she said it just made her want to contact me and speak about the sexual assault that happened to her at a music publishing company in Los Angeles. And the man Mm. that perpetrated that crime is still running another company. Mm. So it took this woman really 25 years to talk about it. Um, Not every woman could do it. And that's okay too. But the ones that and in your in the situation of the UK and Australia, what I've learned is that your um, libel laws are much different than here in America. Um, Mm. I was able to publish my book because uh, everything I wrote was the truth. And I knew that none of the men would come after me because if they sued me, I could count to sue them and have a deposition. And Mm. a deposition in America is a public document where you can ask any question. So Mm. I knew all the shit that they did. Obviously, I would need like 10 volumes to write everything of a book. So I would be... Probably 10 volume as well. Yes. So you have different laws and the way to do the pressure is you have to go to the government and put pressure to have those laws changed on the people, the, the legislators that work. Because at the end of the day, those people work, they're voted in, they work for the people. So the women have to really start having serious conversations with the politicians, just like I'm going to be beginning to do here. Mm. Because um, we cannot have 
this business dominated by men mm-hmm. that are fucking up women and yeah. putting w- women out on the street and mm. not only having criminal behavior, it's morally wrong. It's a criminal offense. And then they cover it up, which in America, that's the crime. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like pe- that's the crime. Yeah. So yes, I encourage all women to come forward, but they have to do it. You know, it's not going to work. Some women are so fragile Mm. that they're not at the point yet where they even processed, you know, their, their trauma. And when I hear some of these stories, I would feel the same. Um, some of the things that happened to them happened to me. Yeah. So, but, you know, the men are all war- walking around fine. They all have 401ks, yeah. retirement, driving oh, yeah. Teslas, living yeah. in mansions, who's has a home in Mallorca. Mm. They're all doing great. So yeah. the way to get in is to put the pressure through the finances of the company, sadly, because having a rational conversation with one of these men, and I've tried mm. to appeal to their morality, mm. you could forget it. Because they don't have any. Yeah. I mean, because there is an, an, an ecosystem at play. Like you just spoke about music publishers. And I think some people might assume, oh, you have to be out in the forefront of music or if you're on stage or if you're at a gig or if you're in a studio. But say, for instance, with the correlation of, of, of data and different areas within the music industry, uh, there's a, a, a part of the book where you say, if we complain, you know, we're fired, our careers are destroyed, we're not allowed back into the boys' club. Male executives who commit to these acts keep getting recycled from company to company. And that goes for station to station, network to network, you know, right. uh, studio to studio. And even in our findings in a, a recent report that we did in the UK, we had a look at the gender splits and the ethnic splits of the songwriters and composers in the top 50 airplay charts across the UK radio stations. All UK radio stations accumulated uh, so far in 2021. And we found that 76.4% were male songwriters and composers. 23.2% were female songwriters and composers. And for every single female songwriter on a song, they had to be accompanied by male songwriters. There's no song in the entire top 50 that was just written by a woman alone. And there's, yeah. And then 96% of the songs featured in the top 50 were by artists and bands signed to a major label. 54% of male artists and bands had male only songwriters and composers and 100% of female artists and bands had at least one song, male songwriter on each song and 0% of songs featured in the top 50. This is, I'm laughing, but I want to fucking shout. Um, 0% of songs featured in the top 50 were by artists of colour, uh, solo artists uh, or bands. And it's, you know, it's when you look at the correlations to that and then you see the major labels and how they dominate uh, radio. And then when radio come back and say, oh, we're just doing what the majors tell us to do. I mean, there is that ecosystem at play. And, and again, this, this thing that we're constantly, constantly back at is to whom does the accountability stand with? Is it the publishers? Is it the songwriters? Is it the artists? Is it the label? Is it the stations? You know, it's, but I think, I feel that we all have a part to play. And unless we all kind of, you know, raise our hands and step forward. And as you said, try to find our morality. Um, I don't think, I think it's going to be a long time before that's changed. But certainly if people are willing to stand up and speak out, that is one way to, to change 100%. it. At a rapid rate. A hundred. Look, here's what I tell these assholes. It's very simple. 
we're going to get the change. We're coming. You knew I've been out there since the publication of the book. I'll find a way because mm-hmm. the, the, the secret to my success has been I've been underestimated my entire life, especially by men. So these assholes underestimate me that I wouldn't find other people, that people wouldn't listen to me. Women are coming. We're going to band together. And if we have to, we'll go old school Michael Jackson. When I worked at Sony Music, Michael Jackson was complaining about something. And, you know, they would always blow off the artist. Mm. So he rented a bus. He filled it with hundreds of African-American friends. He got the Reverend Al Sharpton on. He parked the bus in front of 550 Madison Avenue, the global headquarters of Sony Music. And he held up a sign that said, Tommy Mottola is the devil. And he had Tommy Mottola's face on a devil. So it got really a lot of attention. And if we have to start protesting, like there was strength in numbers, if we have to get women in every country in front of every company, Mm. I'm willing to go to England, to Ireland, to Australia, take these women. You don't have to say anything. Stand there with our evidence of posters in front. We'll have media coverage. Shareholders, stockholders will see this behavior and they'll say, what the fuck is going on there? So I'm willing to do it and let every asshole head of the territories walk in to their or their company that day. You have to walk through the front door and see these women and then maybe it will become real to them. But sometimes, just like with Black Lives Matter, they had to take to the streets to yeah. end hundreds of years of systemic race, racial abuse. And perhaps women have to do that, um, sadly, but I'm willing to do it. Yeah. Same here. Same here. Well, look, let's let's finish up. And, and what I ask everyone that's a guest on the podcast is to uh, recite or to share their favorite uh, wisdom or quote or book that they have read that has been by a woman. Because a lot of what we're given in school and in colleges and everything is male literature, male origin. And there's not enough, you know, women out there that are that are. Um, Oh my God, I'm going to be stumped now. Uh, that's it. A lot of people are because we're so used to being spoon fed everything written by men. You know, it wasn't the case of because the thing that I kept going back to in the book was when your teacher said men are going to break you. And that was said to me a lot in my life. I mean, is there anything that comes yeah, to you? I guess one of the biggest influences of my life was was Sister Rose Ellen and St. Rosalima Catholic School in Brooklyn, New York. You know, she said to me, uh, men are going to break you. And that always stuck with me. Not that men are our enemy. Yeah. But it was just in a way that she said that you would be ahead of your time. That's really what it meant that Mm. you were going to um, speak up. You don't take it like a lot of people when somebody says to them, shut up. And men have always said that to me. Oh, shut up, shut up, shut up. It's so demoralizing, but I would feel bad, but I would just keep kind of like just pushing and pushing and pushing. So in a way, she was an inspiration to me. And when I reached out um, to contact her to give her a copy of my book, she had just passed away, which was sad Uh, because she encouraged me to be a leader and to stand up and that 
you know, the world will change just really at a slow rate. And if you think yeah. about it, it's true. You know, mm-hmm. what we go through as women, we want the same things as men. And that's what I tell the men. What makes you think that I don't want uh, success, power, money, sex? Mm-hmm. We want the same things. Uh, so stop making it that we cannot have them. Stop taking away. And why are we, I say this to men too, What if you have a daughter, or you know someone with a daughter, why don't you just, you know, go to Afghanistan and join the Taliban if you believe women have no rights and should dress in black from head to toe? You know, stop putting us down. We're human beings. We want human rights and we want the same things that they do. And stop being so fucking scared and acting like a bunch of little pussies. It's so boring now in 2021 and at my age that I have to have this conversation with grown-ass men. So, you know, they really need to rethink their values and how they act, not the way we act. Yeah. Oh, well, you know what? I don't think I could have said it better myself. (laughs) That's just so on the feckin' nail in the head. Dorothy, thank you so much for for speaking to to me today and for all your support. Thank you. Thank you for writing that book. I'm sure it's after reaching out to many women uh, in the music industry and it's you know I can already see the ripple effect and I really can't wait to see um, what becomes of the docu-series and I wish you the very very best of luck I know we're going to speak again soon but thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me today thank you if you have been affected by any of the topics that were raised in today's podcast, um, please feel free to check out the links that are assigned to this podcast in the description box and speak to someone about it. Don't um, suffer alone. You're not alone. And that there's always someone there to listen. Uh, mind yourself. Um look after yourself look after each other and thanks a million for taking the time to listen to today's podcast with Dorothy Carvello if you would like to check out Dorothy's book I have also included it in the description box thank you